All right, brethren, thank you for doing that. Let's take our Bible, and uh, we're going to be kind of all over the place tonight, which will be a blessing. We'll do some biblical survey. We will start in Matthew chapter number 3, and uh, just a shameless plug for next Sunday night, and uh, we are going to be preparing and praying and working on, we've already had some good long meetings about uh, the everyday evangelism uh, process and curriculum, and just to kind of give you a bit of an insight on some of it, we're going to start out with the theology of salvation and of the gospel, and uh, in order to share something with someone, you need to know it first. And uh, so do not miss those first parts. And uh, we'll move from there to, I think, our next service, our second service in February, Sunday night. Uh, We'll be dealing with why Christians don't share the gospel. And uh, there are a lot of reasons that relate to our testimony, or maybe we haven't looked for a proper opportunity. And and, uh, as I mentioned in the video announcement this morning, that some of that um, will apply to door knocking. Everything about evangelism applies to door knocking, but not everything about door knocking applies to all of evangelism. And so we're going to be emphasizing the evangelism process uh, with your family, with your friends. Again, outdoor knocking, it certainly will apply there as well. But we're going to be looking at the everyday opportunities creating. Uh, I heard a commercial. Oddly enough, I think it was for a hospital. And uh, the hospital said, we, are, we seize every opportunity where we find it and we create opportunities where we don't. And I thought, that's a good motto for soul winning. Seizing every opportunity when it's present and trying to create opportunities when they're not present. And uh, I think that's a great idea as far as the gospel goes, looking in our normal relationships for opportunities that uh, either the Lord presents or they present, um, or looking for, to create an opportunity with somebody um, in just a casual conversation. Even this week, I was at the gym, and, and uh, my wife did not go. She was sleeping in. She told me the night before. She said, I'm not going tomorrow. And so I went, and uh, I was there, and this elderly gentleman came by, and he said, hey, where's your workout partner? I said, ah, oh, she's lazy this morning. And I I just trashed my wife. It was an opportunity. No, I didn't. I just said she, I said she decided she was going to sleep in. And so we started talking. He started telling me about some difficulties he was having and some medication he was on. And, and I just asked him, I said, hey, do you mind if I pray with you? And he said, oh, well, you'll pray for me? And uh, he started showing me this tattoo on his arm about the cross. And, and I started sharing with him that I'm a pastor. And, and we started to talk about the gospel, just looking for opportunities in our every single day. And I truly believe we'll be far more effective Christians and far more in love with the gospel when we don't just treat it like it's something the church does or that the church does just once a week or twice a week, but we treat it like it's an everyday thing. And that's why we title it Everyday Evangelism. So you do not want to miss it, okay? Uh, it's something that's going to apply to every single one of our hearts. It's a responsibility God gave to every single one of us. And uh, I want us to be better at it. I want to be better at it personally. I want you to be better at it. I'm watching for your souls as we saw in Hebrews 13. And uh, this is an important responsibility that God gives to us. And uh, so we're going we're gonna to jump into that next Sunday night. So I'm excited. We're starting that series then. Tonight, we're just going to come and uh, get some things out of what God showed me this week. It was a, a pretty unique experience. Um, I was speaking with the Lord just in my prayer, talking with him about some things. And I, I expressed my desire while I was praying to him. I said, Lord, I just want to please you. And I began to dwell on that idea of pleasing the Lord. And as I expressed that desire to please him with my life and with the ministry that he's given me and my behavior and my conduct and my relationships, I began to really think about what it means to please the Lord. And I began to wonder if I really understood what that, what that meant. Now, of course, you have a framework and I have a framework of what it means to please someone or to be pleased, but I really began to be curious, and I, I think it was just the spurring of the Holy Spirit, really began to be curious and uh, uh, really just try to lean into whether or not I have an understanding of what it truly means uh, to please the Lord. So I, I went to the scriptures to search it out. And let me just say, aren't you glad we have the scriptures to do that? 
Aren't you glad if you've got a spiritual question, you can go right here? Uh, now, I'm grateful. You know, you can call me and ask me questions. But the, the fact of the matter is, you, for the most part, if you know your Bible, you're not going to need me for a whole lot of things. If you've got an open Bible and a Holy Spirit and maybe a couple study tools, be able to search out some things, what a blessing to have the Bible that's unchanging and uh, that's settled and you know what truth is and you don't have to guess. And uh, that's obviously where I went to. I went straight to the scriptures. I opened my Bible and a couple of study tools. And I really began to dive into the theme, the idea of what it means to please the Lord. And I wanted to know the definition from the text of the Bible. What does it mean to please the Lord? What does it mean for him to be pleased or well-pleased, as the Bible says a couple of times? And I wanted to see where it was used across the New Testament and the Old Testament. And I wanted to understand what God himself specifically says, and this is cool to me at least, I found a great list of things that God says, hey, these things are pleasing to me. And I love what I found. In fact, I loved it so much earlier in the week. I said, man, we're going to do this Sunday night. We're going to go through and and survey what the Bible says about what it means to please God and what God says pleases him. And so uh, let's pray. We'll jump in. We'll study. I think it'll be a blessing to you. Father, would you meet with us tonight and uh, would you work in our hearts? I pray that you would create, most importantly, a desire to please you. And uh, Lord, a desire to bring you delight and a, and a desire to bring a smile to your face. And, and Lord, just that the, the, the intimate moments that you and I have been able to spend together around this idea, I, I pray that some of this uh, will be recreated in the lives of your people this week as they really try to understand even tonight and this week and pursue the, the processes that you've given us whereby we as fallen creatures can actually bring joy to our creator. And uh, Lord, what an amazing prospect that is. And I, I ask that we would... We would be enticed by that possibility, that we would be intrigued and uh, curious as well, Lord, to, to draw close to the principles that you give us in Scripture about how we might be and might live a life that is pleasing to you. And so God bless us in our study. I pray that it be a blessing to each and every Christian here tonight. And Lord, we love you and we want to honor you with what we do this evening. In Christ's name, we pray. Amen. Now, before we begin our biblical survey on what God says pleases him, and I have eight different things, uh, and they're all incredibly awesome, we need to work on what the definition of the word means. And I will warn you, and and this isn't a bad warning, but it's not an extravagant definition. And actually, it's the lack of extravagance that drew me to uh, the the definition. It was so profound, at least to me. The definition of to be pleased or to please someone is to cause someone to be delighted. Now, that's, that again, it's not lavish and it's not, it's not extreme, but to me, I found it to be profound when I thought about the possibility of bringing delight to the creator God of heaven, to bring delight into his life. Now, think about what it means to be delighted, right? When you're delighted about something, and there may be different things that delight you, right? I don't know what might delight you. Sports might cause that brightness of soul. Tri-tip brings delight to my soul. Uh, There are different things uh, that cause delight in our our heart. Um, But when you're delighted, your, your countenance lights up, right? You normally can't help but smile at least a little bit. There's a real and almost tangible joy uh, and appreciation in your soul for maybe even just a simple pleasure that comes your way and you're delighted by it. When I think about the word delight, I think about my children's face. When you give them a present or, you know, they're opening a present on Christmas and it's that gift that they wanted and, and there's, just an, there's just an excitement. It's not, it's not outlandish, it's not, oh, but it's just something beautiful and something simple. That delight or that, uh, that pleasure or that well-pleasing. When I think about uh, uh, delight, I think about on an anniversary, maybe getting the right gift for your wife or uh, maybe creating a, a moment or a date for your spouse or your husband. Those moments of simple enjoyment uh, are what drew me to this, this definition as simple as it is to bring delight. And the fact that I get to do that for God, 
The fact that your life and my life can actually accomplish certain things that bring that kind of delight and joy and pleasure to our God is wildly enticing to me. Um, And I hope that it is for you as well. Um, We shouldn't have that ability. You realize that, right? God should look down from heaven with nothing but contempt on his fallen creation, right? Uh, He could have looked at us like he looked in the days of Noah and saw that every man did that which is right in his own eyes and said, all right, we're going to destroy this whole thing and start all the way over with just Noah and his family. But God doesn't. He looks down on those who are saved and he has delight in them. And we shouldn't have that ability. In fact, you're going to see in a little bit in Romans that we didn't have that ability before Jesus, right? Those who are in their flesh cannot please God. They cannot bring delight to him. And yet because of grace, the people sitting in this room tonight, we actually possess the ability to please God. We actually possess the ability to delight him. And again, I'm only going to lean it to one more time. I hope that entices you. I hope that excites you. I hope that fascinates and captivates your mind that something or some things you can do this week will actually bring God a delight in his soul, a delight in his, uh, uh, in his attitude toward us. And uh, if in the off chance this doesn't entice you, I will tell you tonight's sermon will be a little bit of a drag for you because we're just going to walk through. We're going to find eight things that God himself says, these things bring me pleasure. These are pleasing to me. Now, I do want to give a bit of a disclaimer. Uh, this is not an all-inclusive list. There are certainly other things that bring uh, ple- pleasure to God or that he takes joy in or that he takes even delight in. And that's, but that's not the word that I tracked through the scriptures. I really just chased down the idea of pleasing or well-pleasing to God. And so not an inclusive list, but I found enough in just my study that afternoon for my own soul that, man, these are, these are some things I really do hope that you'll appreciate uh, as I've been able to see this list. And it's a cool list. It's a really cool list to have in our hands this week, to walk into our week and say, you know what, God told me there's a couple of things that if I do these things, they bring pleasure to God. Now imagine men, and uh, I don't want to be, I don't want to poke fun at wives too much, but uh, could you imagine if your wife just gave you a list? Hey, if you do these five things this week, you'll please me. Now, if we could just get a list, man, we'd be halfway there to success. You know what I'm talking about? Um, no, I'm just kidding. Your lady's like, I'm going to give you a list. Um, no, no, no. Now, but, but imagine in, in a non-hostile way, if your wife just said, hey, if you could sit down and have an honest conversation with your wife and say, hey, this week, what are some things that I could do that would bring you delight? And she gave you eight of them. And you said, you know what? I'm going to set out to do three of them. I think that'd be a huge blessing to your marriage. I think it'd be a huge blessing to your wife. And now we don't have to imagine, but God has given us a list of eight things. And some of them are attached to us. Some of them are not attached to us um, that bring God pleasure, that he finds delight in, that he is pleased with. And so our first one, and I don't normally start with my favorite because then it's kind of downhill from there, but this is my favorite and uh, we cannot escape it. You're in Matthew chapter three, verse number 16. We're going to see what pleases God. Okay. What pleases God? What brings delight to the father up in heaven as he looks down on this thing called earth? Matthew chapter 3, verse number 16, it says, Jesus, when he was baptized, went straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were open unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved Son, read the last part with me, in whom I am well pleased. Number one, my favorite, you know what pleases God? Jesus Jesus pleases God, and we ought to be super thankful for that because we could not please the Father except through Jesus having pleased him first. Romans chapter 8, verse 8 says, So then they that are in the flesh cannot please, uh, cannot please God. And apart from the delight the Father took in his Son, he could never, never take delight in fallen creation. 
You realize that? That because Jesus delighted the Father and did that which pleased the Father, you and I now have access to the rest of this list, right? we got to start this list by the author of the list, right? He's the author of our faith. We couldn't come to God apart from him having pleased God. We have no claim, no hope, and no access. We were dead in sins, bound in our flesh, unable to please the Father. So Jesus did it for us. Now, go to John chapter 8, verse 29. Let me show you exactly what I mean. I'll tie this whole thing together. John chapter number nine, uh, 8, verse 29. Jesus, number one, pleased the Father, pleases the Father. <clears throat> Here's what Jesus is saying of himself in John eight twenty nine. And he that sent me is with me. The Father hath not left me alone, for I always do those things that, read the last two words, Please him. Jesus always ever and only ever did the things that were pleasing to the Father. And in doing so, he accomplished the obedience demanded by God the Father. And therefore, as the perfect man, the second Adam, in his well-pleasing to God, because he only ever did the things that pleased God, he is now qualified to make a substitutionary death on our behalf because he fulfilled the law and then he died in our place. If he did not the things that pleased the Father, he could not have died in our place. But because God delights in him because Jesus obeyed and, and, and followed the will of his father. God was pleased with him. And now therefore you and I can please the father. And so it's this beautiful kind of Genesis moment when we get to the rest of the list that God says, Hey, you know, uh, this pleases me and I don't want to give them away, but there's different things you're going to find. And some of you might already know, right? Without faith, it is impossible to please him. So that one's coming on the list, but we couldn't be there if Jesus were not here. And so the fact that Jesus fulfills the, the pleasing of the Father in every way, and he did always only that which pleased the Father is amazing. I love what Micah says. And you can write the reference down, or if you can turn there real quick, go there. Micah chapter number six, verse number seven, gives us this beautiful, full understanding of the law. Because we, we heard it this morning in Hebrews chapter 13, where the Bible tells us that those that partake of the sacrifices of the, the tabernacle have no claim with the, the children of God. The, the ones that come uh, to the, the sacrifice and eat of the offerings of Jesus. Uh, and we, we saw this idea that this sacrificial system, you got to pick one or the other. You can't have the sacrifice and the self-righteous and the works and have Jesus. Micah, even in the Old Testament, says much the same. In verse number seven of Micah six, he says, will the Lord be pleased? This is a rhetorical question, obviously. Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams or with 10,000 of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? Here's what he's stating in this very tumultuous time as Micah's writing, is that God is not pleased even if you could give tens of thousands of rams. God is not pleased with your sacrificial system even could you give all the oil that 10,000 rivers would flow with oil. This was not well-pleasing to God. He's not pleased with your oil and he's not pleased with your rams. Who he's pleased with is Jesus. And thank God for that. And that he created a way for you and I to come to the Father. So praise God. Jesus pleased the Father. What else pleased the Father? Go to that powerful passage in Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53. Think about it. Think about it. You might be able to guess what pleased the Father from Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53 is that profound uh, prophecy of Jesus Christ given 700 years before Christ would be born on earth. And uh, we're going to find number two. Not only does it please the Father, or Jesus pleased the Father, but number two, it pleased the Father to redeem us. 
It pleased the Father to save us. And that again, this verse right here is one of the hardest ones to wrap my brain around. Now, we don't have to read from verse 3 to verse 10. Verse 10 is where we're going. But Isaiah 53 is one of my favorite chapters in the entire Bible. So we're going to read from verse uh, 3 on. It says in verse number 3, Isaiah 53, He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Now, please don't lose, for some of you newer Christians, this is a prophecy of Jesus. Isaiah lived 700 B.C. The children of Israel uh, are, are entering into exile. He writes this, a prophecy of the coming Messiah. You read this to a Jewish person today, and he, don't give them the text. Don't tell them it's an Isaiah. And you ask them, who's that talking about? Nearly every one of them, there's plenty of videos that show this. They'll say, oh, it's talking about the Christian Jesus. Well, it's in the Old Testament, prophesying of Jesus. Look at verse 4. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. We did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. They looked at him and said, that guy's cursed. That guy's smitten by God. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. The Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before the shearers is dumb. So he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people was he stricken. He, was, uh, he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. That is absolutely, unequivocally, as clear as possible, the prophecy of Jesus. He died between two malefactors. He was buried in the rich man's tomb uh, in his death. Because he had done no violence, neither was there any deceit in his mouth. Look at verse number 10. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. He shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days and the pleasure, pleasing, of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. That first part of verse number 10 is so incredibly difficult for me to reconcile with the value I know that I'm worth. The Bible says that it pleased the Father. It delighted the Father to exchange the Son for the redemption of mankind. It pleased the Father to take our sin and our chastisement and place it on Him so that you and I could be saved. And honestly, I'm not sure where to go with that other than thank God. To me, that's a terrible exchange. To trade the one who always did that which pleased the Father for the ones who are dead in their trespasses and sin, who by nature are children of disobedience and not pleasing to God. And yet in Isaiah, the prophecy says that it would please God to trade his son, to bruise his son on our behalf. God is pleased when sinners are saved. It is the great pleasure of God. It brings him great delight. It brings him great joy. I think about like a child opening a Christmas present. I mean that no disrespect or reduction of the nature of the Almighty God. But that delight that comes on someone when they receive something their heart is longed for. That is the emotion God looks at and says, Jesus for Casey. I'll take that. I wouldn't. That's easy for me to say about myself, but I can say that about you too. Like, and I don't mean that like you didn't feel that way. I'm saying like, I don't think you're worth the sacrifice either. And I don't mean that bad. I just, when I look at Jesus and I look at everybody in this room, we're all a bunch of broken messes. And, and in no way 
all of us on one side and Jesus on the other, he's still just and he's still worthy and he's still righteous. And yet God somehow took delight in the exchange of the sinless one for the sinner. That is a beautiful reality. And again, this is not what I expected to find when I started searching these things out. I expected certain acts of obedience and those will come, but I can't escape that Jesus first off pleased the Father. Number two, when sinners are saved, the exchange of Jesus for sinners pleases the Father. And notice number third, uh, number, number three, forgive me, the third thing I found in my study that pleases God, and I try to put these in a, in a logical order, is number three, the preaching of the gospel pleases the Father. Go to, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse number 21 is where we'll go here. Preaching, God chose it, it pleases him when the gospel is preached from people who were once lost but now can share the gospel. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse number 21 is where you're going to go to find this passage. And it's a familiar passage. I would say that most of these are. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 21 says this, For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Now, think about this. And I've, I've said this a lot. When I think about preaching, even as a preacher, right? I've spent my entire adult life preaching the gospel and, and preaching in, in the church house. And this whole exchange still seems so weird to me. The idea that you would come for an hour Listen to some guy talk and read an ancient book, and then he's going to tell you what the ancient book said, and he's going to tell a couple stories and make fun of his wife. And it, it seems a very, very obscure exchange. And yet when God looks down, he says, yeah, but I chose that. I chose, and I was pleased to choose that preaching would bring about the redemption of mankind. God chose preaching, the foolishness of preaching. It pleased him to save sinners through the foolishness of preaching. When a broken man stands up in front of broken men and tells them that they are loved, but they are sinners, and that Jesus pleased the Father on their behalf, and if they'll come to him by faith, God chose that method for salvation. God could have, and honestly... If he had asked my opinion, but he didn't, I would have told him to pick a different thing, like write it in the sky because the sky would be a better witness than I am. Think about it. He could have chose that. He could have been pleased to look and say, I'm going I'm to spell salvation out in the stars and no one can hide it. It cannot ever be obscured. It will always be there. But what God was pleased with is when you and I, who were broken, now redeemed, take that same gospel message that saved us, and we preach that message, God says, I'm pleased with that. I'm pleased with that process, as strange as it might sound. It is the method by which sinners can be reborn, the preaching of the gospel. So then think about this. This is so important. Why does it matter that the whole church comes Sunday night and learn about everyday evangelism, Pastor? Why is that important? Because it's the highest call and it's, it's a great delight to your Father in heaven. When he sees you sharing and preaching the gospel, the Father smiles on that. He is pleased with that. Uh, why, why wouldn't you want to be a part of that? It's, it's the same exchange. Again, I don't mean to come back to a reduced form, but uh, it's the only form I can understand in my finite mind. I look at my children receiving a great gift, and that brings me great pleasure. Uh, this Christmas, my kids took the, the liberty upon themselves to buy each other gifts. That, great, that brought me great delight as a father. 
And the Father in heaven looks down on what happened yesterday in Arvin and what happened this afternoon in my, God willing, what happened Monday at your workplace or Tuesday in the, you know, the neighborhood. And he'll look down and see his children doing what he chose for them to do. Yes! What a, what a great reason to soul win. What a great reason to care about people. Again, we can make you, it's, we can make it about expectations and, you know, we got this, this scheduled thing and you need to do this and, you know, we can, we can use guilt to motivate people. But what about just being motivated by the simple fact that God takes delight and shows preaching, the preaching of the gospel, to bring him great joy and pleasure, that he would enjoy watching his children share the gospel. I love the phrase of the, the I think it was a Moravian Baptist missionary of yesteryear, uh, about the lamb receiving the honor of his suffering, that he gave so much. Isn't it worth him receiving what he died for? He, he died to save us, and so the gospel would go forward. And what a privilege to please him in stewarding such a great gift. It really ought to be about us bringing delight to God. That ought to be what motivates us to talk to that brother or that, that friend or that coworker or that neighbor who drives you nuts. It ought to be the idea that, man, I just kind of like on Christmas. Again, I'm coming back to that. I want my kids to be delighted. I want them to enjoy that process. I want them to look and see with, with great pleasure, man, my daddy loves me. But this is switch. I'm his child. And I, I want my, dad, my father to know that I love him. And I want him to be pleased with my actions. And one of the great ways we can do that is through the preaching of the cross. God takes great pleasure in that. So number one, God is pleased with the foolishness of preaching. God is pleased when sinners come to him. Uh, God is pleased with Jesus. Thank God for that. Notice next, my heart was challenged and encouraged by this one as well. Uh, Number five, go to 1 Corinthians 12. God is pleased by who he has chosen to add to the church body. Again, these are disjointed because it's just a survey of the scripture Chasing down this word and this thought as God intentionally and very clearly states, this brings me great pleasure. And one of the things that God draws pleasure out of is building his church the way he chooses to. Now, that's kind of hard to appropriate to our life, so we'll see it in just a second. But I want you to see in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse number 18. It says, But now hath God set the members, every one of them in the body, as it hath pleased him. So think about this. God is pleased with placing you here at Faith Baptist Church. God is pleased when he placed me here at Faith Baptist Church. God is pleased when he placed Miss Ramona here at Faith Baptist Church and Brother Anthony and his wife. God is pleased and he has placed the people in the body according to his pleasure. His delight says, okay, man, what do I want? What do I want to build at Faith Baptist Church? I'm going I'm to do something I desire and I'm going to build the church the way that I desire. And that's easy to forget sometimes that he's building it according to his pleasure and not ours, right? I'd be pleased if God built the church with 73 millionaires. Now, I don't know. We might have 73 millionaires. I don't know who gives who gives what, but I'm pretty doubtful. <laughs> we have 73 millionaires at Faith Baptist Church, right? We get irritated with someone, but did you know that God is pleased to have placed them here? We, get, we, we wish for more people. And sometimes that's true as, pastor, as a pastor. Like, man, Lord, I wish there was more people here. But God, it, he did it according to his own good pleasure. He put people in the church according to what pleased him. 
Well, well, I just wish that one family were still here. I do too. But according to God's good pleasure, he's building the church the way he chooses to. And so again, uh, the scriptural reality is God put people who he pleased into this body. Uh, He's given, and yes, sometimes he's taken away, but he's building a work, and that work is in accordance not not what you desire or what pleases you or what pleases me. He's doing it according to what pleases him. So again, how does that affect our life? How do we appropriate that into our everyday, everyday living? Well, if the makeup of the church is good enough for God himself, we ought to look around at our church and say, that's good enough for me. Because sometimes we don't do that. Sometimes we think, well, if that person, you know, was more like this, or if that person wasn't here, or if that person was, or if I could have this particular attribute in this particular church, just understand, God is smarter than you and I, and God is not petty like you and I, right? Right? His ways are not our ways, and sometimes I'm irritated by that. In this particular one, I'm glad for that, right? Because if I'm God, I'm like, you know what? Carter ticked me off. He's gone. Easton, are you in? Easton didn't even have a chance, Right? God's not petty like us. God is long-suffering, usward, not willing that any should perish. Thank God for that, right? And when it comes to the pleasure of God, one of the scriptural realities is that God is pleased with the construction of his church, with the people he's added. He set every member in the place that they are, whether you like them or not, whether their gifting is different than yours, whether they do what you do or not, you measure them by yourselves. God says, no, 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 stop it. It's my church. And I'm doing it according to what I delight in, what I'm pleased with, and that's where it is. Now, Does that mean our church is going to be perfect? No, no. There's always going to be a gap between who we are and who we need to be, right? That's just the reality of it. We ought to strive for, for the image of Jesus, right? Get on the escalator and let him take us all up. But the fact of the matter is God's pleased with how he builds and who he builds into the church. Number five, let's get after our next thing. And uh, we're coming into not necessarily maybe a landing. It's only 1235, so I've got plenty of time according to that clock. I'm just going to say, whoever did that, great job. You got out six minutes early because I had no idea what was going on with the time until I was in my, you know, my closing. And I was like, oh, man, I have 20 minutes. <laughs> But I was already done, so we're not going to pay attention to that one. So this fifth one, uh, let me tell you where you're headed. I want you to go over to Galatians chapter 1 and then uh, Hebrews chapter 13, if you can make it there. This, is, this flows out of the other ones, right? God is pleased through the preaching. God is pleased when sinners are exchanged for Jesus. Uh, and then, this one's so important, God is pleased when he is given the opportunity to use our fallen humanity for his purpose. He is pleased that we will bring him our lives and do what he desires for in our lives. And I want to just sit with that reality for, for just a second again. Uh, not only does it please the Father to exchange Jesus for my redemption, but it also pleases the Father to put me in the church. And then it also pleases the Father that he would use me. All of that I deserve none of, right? I, I don't deserve to be exchanged for Jesus, I don't deserve to be placed into the bride of Christ and the body of Christ at Faith Baptist Church. And I certainly don't deserve my meaningless life to have meaning. And I'm not picking on you. I'm just taking you to where the scripture says. Your life, again, come on Wednesday night. It's, it's at nauseum. Man, life is empty. Life is vain. There's not a lot of good things under the sun. That's who you and I are without Jesus. But not because of Jesus. God has actually pleased and takes delight In watching my life that once had no eternal value, he takes delight in letting it have eternal value. 
in letting your broken self and your selfishness and all of the, that you, who you were be resurrected and take your feet and plant it on a solid rock and then establish your goings in righteousness and then use you for eternal significance, he takes great pleasure in that. In fact, the first example of that we find is actually in Paul's own testimony. And, and we can appropriate that to ourselves, but for, for our own sake, we're going to go to Hebrews as well. But Paul talks about this in his own testimony in Galatians 1.15. He says, But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace... Paul says, listen, it pleased God when I, the chiefest of sinners, God said, hey, yeah, I know it, Paul. I know your background, but I have a plan for you. And if you'll come and get saved, I'm going to give you a life that will matter forever. And you and I are here and we have a large portion of the New Testament, Hebrews may be included, um, because the Apostle Paul was saved. Okay, some of you will get that later. Okay, let's go to uh, Hebrews chapter 13. This one lands closer to us. I just, I really did enjoy that that testimony of Paul where he just says, hey man, my life had value and God was pleased with taking my life and letting me serve him. The same thing is said, and we saw it actually this morning. We, we finished out Hebrews chapter 13 and look at verse number 20. And we only briefly covered it because I knew I was gonna pre- be preaching on it tonight. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 20, it says, now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus that great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work to do his will. That's God's plan for you, right? To do his will. Working in you that which is, what's the next word? Well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. The author here says, hey, God's desire for you is to work in you and to work through you and to work out of you that which is well-pleasing to him to make you perfect in every good work to do his will. So again, this is crazy to me. That, and again, I know I may be personifying, but in my mind, when, when, a, when you take a young person or a sinner, any sinner, and God saves them, and now they begin to commit themselves to Jesus and begin to use their lives to go out and evangelize in Arvin. Some of our folks were telling me they were from Arvin, and now they're going back to, you know, to reach people in Arvin. You know what I think? I really do. I think the Lord smiles on that. I think he is well pleased with that. I think he looks down and says, man, mm, that delights me. That that life that the world would look at and say, oh, man, that guy's a mess. Oh, man, look at that life. That guy, that, least likely to succeed. And yet God allows our life to partner with him for eternal purposes. That I, I don't know what might be a higher motivator for, for living than this one. That my life can bring him pleasure. My wife can, my life, my wife too. My life can bring him great delight. He delights in my conduct. Uh, he desires for me not just to receive the grace of God, but as Paul said, uh, the grace of God was bestowed upon me, not in vain. I want Jesus to get what he paid for. He can get a lot, but I want to give him everything he paid for, right? This isn't a whole bunch I can give, but if he bought it all, he deserves as little as it may be. I want him to get some reward out of his purchase. He paid such a high price for my life, and now not only does he take pleasure in my redemption, he takes pleasure in my, my working and partnership with him. And that just, again, that blows me away. That the, the, the great God, the rich God of the universe would partner with a pauper like me. And then not only would he make me a son and an heir, but he would allow me to join in the mission that he's called me, called, uh, called me to, that he created. And now my life actually has eternal significance, which again, that's pleasing to me. But God said it's also pleasing to him. 
So what pleases the Father? Number one, Jesus pleases the Father. Number two, the redemption and the trading of Jesus for us pleases the Father. The preaching of the gospel pleases the Father. Number four, the placement of members inside of the body pleases the Father. Uh, Children doing that which is right to their Father pleases the Father. Now, I want our kiddos to listen up. I want you to go to Colossians chapter 3. Now, again, if I was writing an expository sermon, these are fairly disconnected thoughts. But again, it's just a survey across the Bible along this particular idea. And I find, and I want our kids to pay attention closely, that children who honor and obey their parents, that pleases the Father. That's significant. I want to talk to our kids for just a second. Colossians chapter 3, verse number 20. There are other verses very similar to this, but this particular one has this key word in it of delight. Colossians chapter 3, verse 20 says, Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. So to all of our kids, teenagers, if you live in, the parent, in your parents' house, you have a real opportunity to put a smile on, the make, on your maker's face. You have a real opportunity for God in heaven to look down and say, Man, good job. I, I'm, I'm grateful you did that. I'm thankful. I take delight in your obedience. And so let me just challenge our young people, especially our teenagers and our, and our kids too, but your attitude is not a small thing. He takes great pleasure in a child who will obey and honor their mother and father. In fact, we know from other passages, very similar ones, that this is the first commandment for a child. That's your first expectation, that you would honor and obey your parents. Above your, uh, you know, uh, I'm trying to develop a, a Bible reading plan. Great. You know your first responsibility, though? is to honor and obey your mom and dad. Your first responsibility and command is not soul winning. It's not youth group. It's to be right with mom and dad because you cannot be right with God if you're not right with mom and dad. It is so important and it's pleasing to God. Again, I I would think, I know our kiddos, they love Jesus. They got such a sweet heart and thank you for all those who who serve in that ministry and love on our kids and teach them uh, uh, so forth and and moms and dads who do that. But think about this. I think our kids would, would thrill at the opportunity to bring delight to God. That if there was something you could do, if I said, hey, all right, after service, I want all the kids to come, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to guarantee you, if you do this one thing, come on up, I'm going to hand you something. If you do this one thing, God will take delight. I think every kid would get in line. And here's what I have to say to you. You don't have to get in line. Obey your parents. That brings delight to God. He is pleased. He smiles down on, on earth when he sees a child obeying and honoring their mom and their dad. Now, let's, let's come up for air real quick before we come in for a landing. Let's not forget what we're chasing. We're chasing a desire. I hope there's a desire, and I assume there probably is, a desire to really please our maker. And what a privilege that is, and what an opportunity that is. But we're going to come in for our last two. Number seven, what pleases the Father? Go to Hebrews chapter 11. You probably can guess that. I referenced it earlier. Hebrews chapter 11, verse number six. And this one's actually kind of reverse engineer. Is actually a bit of a, a negative imperative. It, it states the negative side of the equation, and therefore the other side of the equation is the, the positive. Hebrews chapter 11, verse number 6 says, But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So number 7, what pleases God? Faith. You know what doesn't please me? situations that require faith. You know what I'm talking about? Right? Like, man, I want faith in the pew when there's no problems. Yep, God could move mountains. Hallelujah. Unless the mountain's right in front of me. I am not a fan of faith-proving moments. Some of you, you are, and you're a way better Christian than me, okay? 
Because when I get to those situations, my flesh is like, ah, didn't we just do this? (laughs) You ever feel that way? I sometimes do. And you know why God puts us in those moments? Because faith brings him delight. He enjoys it. It's a, a pleasurable experience to God when he looks down and he sees his child exhibiting faith. And again, faith isn't faith when you have a plan and you've got it figured out and everything's smooth, it's all cool. Faith is when the storm is raging and the boat's going to sink and there's a ghost on the water, right? That's where faith comes in. Some of you are confused what I'm referencing. This is the story where Peter walks on water, okay? There's no actual ghost, sorry. They thought Jesus was a ghost. That's what pleases the Father. He takes great delight. And that's why. That's one of the primary reasons. And it should be, listen, before you even say it, it should be enough of a reason. But that's one of the primary reasons God sends you and I through the trial of our faith. Because it pleases him. He enjoys it. It's a sweet-smelling savor to him when his people trust him when things don't quite add up. Uh, think about what 1 Peter says. You don't have to turn there, but you can write it down. 1 Peter 1.7 says that the trial of your faith being more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, not a huge fan of that, might be found unto the praise and honor and glory, the appearing of Jesus Christ. So, and, and again, Peter's right. I just don't like what he said. He says, hey, listen, you know what's better than a handful of gold? The trial of your faith. Because it's precious and it's well-pleasing to God. It's precious to you, though oftentimes we don't, we don't see that equation as quickly as God does. God looks down and says, man, that's precious. You and I are like, oh, this is painful. But you know the beautiful reality of being a Christian is that maybe a year later, maybe years later, and honestly, maybe never in this life, but sometimes later, we're going to look back and say, you know what? That was precious. As hard as it was, as difficult as it was, man, that was a precious time where God grew my faith. And I'm a stronger Christian because of it. Now, and I know Christians who love Jesus deeply, who in their trial can look back and say, honestly, I, I can't see where the good was in that. And that's okay. That doesn't make you a bad Christian. Heaven will take care of that equation. Sometimes it's hard to balance that, and we're not necessarily supposed to always balance it. But he does tell us that the trying of our faith is precious, more precious than gold that perisheth. Why? And because we're tried through fire, that we might be found unto the praise and honor and glory at his appearing. We have something to give him when he comes back for us. And so listen, if it pleases the Father to grow your faith, is that enough reason for you to be okay with him growing your faith? I hope that made sense, right? If, if God sending you through fire to try your faith is pleasing to God, is that enough for you to give it the okay? Now, we also know God doesn't need our okay, <laughs> right? We are aware of that. He, he doesn't ask us for approval. Um, but is that not enough? I would hope it'd be enough for me. And I know in, in the safety and comfort of the church tonight, it's easy for me to be like, yeah, amen. But, but when I look back and say, you know what, Lord, if you were pleased with that, if that brought delight into your heart, then... You know, you, you can have that. And maybe what's coming this week that I don't know about, if that's going to be well-pleasing to you because you're going to grow my faith, I want to please you because without faith, I can't please you. But if I've got faith and I come to you as you are, you are God and recognize that, then you can be pleased. Um, let's notice our last one. It's going to be over in Hebrews chapter 13. We also saw this this morning, only briefly touched it, and we'll only briefly touch it tonight. But I do think it's, it's, it's reasonable. It made the list. I didn't make the list, but it made the list. Number eight in our final one is that giving and serving are sacrifices that are well-pleasing unto the Father. And we saw this verse, some of you in Sunday school will know all the context, so I don't have to go back all the way. I will just a little bit. But Hebrews chapter 13, verses 14 and 15 is that verse I was referencing that those who serve of the tabernacle have no claim to the altar of, of Christianity. They have no claim to the relationship of that, God, uh, that Jesus has given us to God the Father. 
And so the sacrificial system is done, but then he, he ends this statement about this, this sacrificial system with a call to another sacrifice. Notice what he says in verse 16. But to do good, that's a life of serving and doing what God commands, right? We saw Paul talk about how his life was to, to follow and God gave him grace and it's well-pleasing that he did well. So right, to do good and to communicate, and that means to give. Forget not. Now, he just spent a bunch of verses talking about, hey, walk away from this. Abraham didn't have a city. He bore the reproach. You and I can bear the reproach and walk away and forget some of this. But then he says, hey, to do good and to communicate, don't forget that. For with such sacrifices, God is well, what's the last word? Pleased. So again, we don't live under a sacrificial system, but there are two sacrifices that God says, hey, this is well-pleasing to me. Your life, doing good, and giving. It is a part of a Christian's responsibility. Um, and I get it, man, we've talked a lot about this in deacons meetings and in staff meetings. The giving was not super great this year, and I, I think I know why. Economy was tough. Every average person, I think they said, it's like $1,000 more a month to live under the current economy and administration, so I, I get it. But that, that doesn't negate our, our privilege to, to give. God's well-pleased when a Christian takes of what he has been, had been given by God and gives it back, right? Our Christian service is not negated because of a busy schedule. If you're too busy to serve God, you're too busy, right? You were put on this earth not to build something except a kingdom, right? And not, not your kingdom and not the kingdom you work for, but for the kingdom of Jesus Christ. In fact, Paul, he makes another statement very similar in Philippians chapter four, talking about the church in Philippi gave to him to the ministry needs. And he says, listen, your giving was an odor of sweet, uh, sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. And so giving is something that God takes delight in when he looks at his, at his, at his children, not only because it provides for the, 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 the gospel ministry, the kingdom of heaven, but also because it endears your heart to the one you're giving. And God knows that. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. When you give to the Lord and his work, your heart is buried in that. And God takes delight in that. He takes great pleasure when he watches you drop it in the offering or give to missions or give to that church family member. And alms is a part of the Old Testament giving. And I think a, even a reasonable New Testament expectation you can give to your church family. Listen, and if you're not giving, you're missing out on a chance to delight your father. Just like kids who are not obedient to their parents, they're missing out on an opportunity to like God. God's people who are not faithfully giving in obedience, you're missing out on an opportunity to bring a smile to God's face. Now, again, I'll finish with this. The list is not all-inclusive. There are other things that the Bible says that God takes delight in or uh, that, God is, you know, that God enjoys or that God is happy with. There are plenty of other things. We just trace this word. I just trace this word in my own study uh, across the New Testament and found the things that God himself says, I'm pleased with that. I'm pleased with that. And I hope... It gets your wheels spinning. I hope you add things to this list. I hope that God is working in your heart, almost like if you got that letter from your wife that said, these five things please me. Okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna schedule. Monday, I'm gonna really work on number two. And, and maybe on Friday, we can go out on a date. She said, you know, she really likes flowers. I'm gonna try to get that. If you're a decent husband, your, your wheels would start spinning. And I hope if you're a Christian that loves Jesus, that as you've heard some of these things, man, Oh, you're starting to think, man, okay, this pleases God and that pleases God and that pleases God. And, and what am I going to do? How am I going to schedule this in? How am I going to be intentional about bringing delight to my creator? And again, I challenge you to go and search the scriptures and find other things that God delights in. There's plenty of them. We certainly did not have the time for them tonight, though. Let's go to Lord in prayer.